Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. We're glad to have you from wherever you're downloading, listening, studying the Word of God with us. We want to remind you that you can contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Now, we're going to uh, offer you today the second part of the plan of redemption, um, that we preached last Sunday night, and we had a technical glitch that didn't allow us to um, produce it on Sunday evening, so we want to share it with you today. So I'm going to send you into the service, and I'll be back with you um, at the conclusion. Encouragement. At springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. We certainly appreciate all of you that are watching and listening and studying the Word of God along with us. As you probably know, the Word of God is very important to me and very important to you. And we do our best to help you learn, understand the Word of God in a usable way so that you can become deeper and greater, stronger and more mature in the Christian walk. Tonight we're going to go into plan part two of the plan of redemption. We'll be beginning with Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, part 2, the plan of redemption. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. And then, Father, may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Jesus, please speak to us through the Holy Spirit so that we can know exactly what we need to do, know, understand, and demonstrate. As we do, Father, we will be changed into the image of your dear Son in such a way that we will be led and guided into deeper knowledge and understanding than we ever have been before. I pray your blessing on us now as we teach and study your word. We'll receive what you give us, Jesus, and we'll reveal it and release it to your people. We ask it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Hi, Sharon. So, because I want to show you the scripture that introduces all of the counterpart uh, and the enemy of our salvation, this message will probably have to be concluded with one final setting uh, that I'll do on Facebook as a messaging with the podcast on Tuesday of this week. I think it's very important that we see the true picture of the Scripture pertaining to the plan of salvation. And in order to do that, we have to more deeply understand our adversary. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace. Tonight we're going to begin with what Paul saw as he viewed the world after the takeover of Satan and how that takeover had uh, impacted the core of mankind for that. Let's look into Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. 
who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Hi, Charles. Satan was a created being. Of course, we know he was beautiful, talented, and with great wisdom. He walked among the fire in his role as a guardian. But he was, in fact, a created being. That's important for you to understand. He was not divine. In his origination, his role was defined to protect what was going on in the throne room. In his self, he determined to overthrow the government of his creator. Now, there is a picture of the throne room that we find in Daniel chapter 7. When we get there, you will find that the thrones were developed. And notice I said thrones in plural. They were developed for the Godhead. So we have more than one throne, which give, brings us to the reality of the Godhead. You find in that throne room, the Ancient of Days is occupying a throne. You will also find in Daniel 7 that there is one who looks like the Son of Man who comes near him and is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Around the throne you will find a fiery stream. This is how close Satan was to the operation of the Godhead. In this writing we find Satan determined that God had something he desired. Daniel 1 and 8 said, In his horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. Verse 9 says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, Satan and his great speaking, from those uh, seven horn, four horns that he had commandeered were cast down. So Satan was a person of whom had brought into his uh, idea of overthrow a group. We know them to be a group of angels and they were close to the throne. When the Ancient of Days comes to his throne, he, however, casts him down. Now the reason for Satan's desires, we look at them and we preach pride and all of that, but they're spoken to us by Daniel in, in verse 10. This morning I told you that I would show you the reason Satan fell. And of course for that we go to verse 10 of Daniel uh, chapter um, 8, I believe it is. Um, and so there we see that a fiery stream issued. A fiery stream issued and came forth. From before him, thousands, thousands ministered unto him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. And this is Daniel 8. Worship and ministering was being given to the ancient of days. Satan had commandeered a group, but they were not receiving any ministry of worship. The sea of worship was turned to the ancient of days. With complete exaltation, obedience, and honor. Satan couldn't have the worship of heaven, nor could he steal the worship of heaven. Now with Satan then, God turning him and casting him out of heaven, he was eradicated from the portals of, heavenly, uh, of the heavenly. Satan was cast into an environment where he became the prince of the power of the air. He was placed into an environment in which he led to chaos. The earth, as it was under Satan, was destroyed. And 
from there, the new earth that we see coming to us in Genesis chapter 1 was developed. Now God, having built the earth, placed a garden in it where he made man in his image and wrapped man in a body and breathed life into his soul. It would be here that Satan would re-enter the environment and overthrow the creation of God. He had already accomplished this to a degree, a third of the angels in heaven. In so doing, Satan would serve to overthrow himself because as we see in Genesis 3, a redeemer was spoken of who would bruise the head of Satan. We also co corroborate that with Habakkuk 3.13. Now I have a beautiful picture here uh, that I have set forth. Um, and it is a picture of the guardian angel, Satan. He said, you were a winged creature. And you were installed as a guardian. I placed you in God's holy mountain where you walked among the stones of fire. Ezekiel 8, or 28 rather, 14. Now art here the anointed cherub that covereth. This is Ezekiel 28, 14. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Satan, of course, identified as an anointed protector who was engaged supposedly in defending the place of God. He was set in that capacity by his creator. He was in the place of worship and was actively engaged in his role as he was walking up and down the stones of fire. These stones of fire represented the many stones of which we saw described in Ezekiel 28.13. These stones represented his position of anointing as he was in the midst of these stones that were on fire. The fire surrounded the place of God. He was in this fire as one having been placed there to ensure that the place of God would always be secure. It's clear to see that he had a deep anointing because of the position to which he was created and the presence of which his creation was made apparent to those who looked upon him. So we can see that he was striking in appearance. He was powerful in presence. He was commanding in wisdom. And this is a stark contrast to how we have been shown the Satan that engaged with Eve. We see him as a serpent, which is what he became. But as we know, that happened for certain as uh, being on his belly in Genesis 3.14. Of course, the serpent is the natural symbol of the enemy of man. This symbol reflects the cunning and slyness of a snake. He lay often undetectable until he strikes. His strike is always, or with this serpent, venomous and deadly. His intention is to destroy his target and bring that target to death. Verse 15, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. Now notice that he was perfect until wickedness was found in him. Iniquity, in-depth iniquity and lawlessness. In the midst of his array of wisdom and beauty and power, lawlessness was found in him. Now let's stop here for just a second and ask ourselves a question. Why are riches, wealth, and fame not always good for the child of God. Well, here is your answer. The Lord wants us to have 
His many blessings. Those blessings often are looked at as things. And they're things that we think we need and things that we know I have not seen nor ever third the things which God has prepared for those who love it. So God has a reservoir of great things for you. But He does not want you to replace Him with them. That's what Satan did. Satan replaced his place, his covering, his position, his ability to be around the throne of God. He replaced all of that with a desire to take, a desire to have, a desire to be in control, and he became a God unto himself. This, my friend, is the reason Satan fell. He replaced God with his own ambitions, desires, and selfishness. Now, we live in a world, unfortunately, where a lot of biblical teaching leads us into that exact direction. It takes us into the places where things, wealth, money, uh, the perception of personal power become more important than the God of whom you should be worshiping. As Satan looked out across the masses who were worshiping God, he desired that worship to be given to him. And he replaced the God who created him with a vision of himself. And he self-determined that I will sit upon the throne. And so that, going into Eve and filtering down through man, through the curse, through the fall, has been exactly what he has done in the hearts and minds of countless millions. He has sat upon their throne. He has come to them and become their God and told them that they could become their own God. They didn't need God. They could become their own God. And darkness and evilness has come into the world. Oppression, depression, and all of those things have filtered into man until men and women are literally trying to take their own lives to get away from the darkness and the evil that the satanic has placed in them and upon them until they would rather not be in the world of the known and go into the world of the unknown than live under the demonic depression and oppression of which they're suffering. Why? Because they chose to make themselves their own God. They chose to make themselves the one of whom they would worship. And there is always with that an edge. There's always a place that you could go that you absolutely cannot find your way back from. So Satan fell because of his own ambitions, desires, and selfishness. It's also the reason he fell. When Eve realized the value of the comments of Satan, she replaced God with her own ambitions, desires, and selfishness. 
This replacement was transferred to the one of whom had stated to her that they were one flesh and one bone. Think about that. That was Adam. So surely he would also replace his daily walks with God in the cool of the day and become as little gods. Having corrupted both of the creations of God with his beauty and wisdom, man's eyes were open. And my friend, when your eyes become open to the sin that captivates you and holds you in bondage, you often find yourself feeling as if there is no way out. There is nothing I can do. Adam and Eve didn't like what they saw either. Now we identify the reason that mankind is caught in the fallen position. Now seeing Satan clearly, we can see why Eve was struck by the encounter. He had a beauty and a wisdom that was similar to the expression that she had heard from Adam concerning God. She was engaging with a person of wisdom that in fact was a creation of God. And we had seen that work in Adam. We know that what God has created and what we saw out of Adam is absolutely astonishing. As she heard him speak, he sounded to her very reasonable. His words resonated into her and, and I'm assuming brought about a common sense approach. God doesn't want you to be equal with him, the devil said, so he denies you. This message is one that's come through the lawless nature of this creation of God and would soon resonate in the nature of mankind in general. Man, by the agreement of the fruit of the tree, became as lawless as the one who enticed her to partake and to share. They would continue to share even to this day. In this partaking, wisdom and beauty became perverted. Man was able to use wisdom in extreme selfish ways. That generally is the way to the edge. They would take advantage of those who were perceived as lesser in understanding, lesser in goods, lesser, lesser in wealth, lesser in power, and lesser in position. This perversion caused the divisions that we are seeing expressed in our day. Those divisions that I mentioned this morning of country, of lands, of money, of borders, of uh, addictions, all of those, those racial divisions, all of this is being brought about from the same genesis, perverted, the perverted wisdom that comes through Satan. They also bring to bear the redirected wisdom of our day that calls for reversing the power of division and justice. Beauty is perverted due to the encounter that brought Satan into the heart of man. We now identify beauty not as the beauty of the glory of God, but as beauty from the sexual perspective in both sexes and now across sexes. This perversion is well defined in Romans chapter 1. The things that God created for the benefit of man has fallen because of the inherent disobedience of a covering angel and his influence through both wisdom and beauty upon the two created beings that God had placed in the garden. So, she was not encountering 
a snake as we know it. She was uh, encountering a serpent, but the serpent didn't become a snake as we know it until that serpent encountered God. He was a snake, however, in terms of his disposition. He was described by Ezekiel in his created state, and my friends, as I've ta told you in Ezekiel 28, it's dynamic. Paul's statement now in 1.7 says this, Ephesians 1.7, In whom, meaning Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now that we know to what the creation fell, we can begin to appreciate by whom the creation was saved. The creation was saved by the one who was sent by love. It was saved by the one who was given by God in love. The creation was saved by one who was stronger than the strong man. You remember, he entered into the strong man's house and plundered his goods. It was saved by the one who was conceived to destroy the house of the wicked from the foundation to the neck. It was saved, as we mentioned this morning from 1 John 4 and 4, by the greater one. So what is redemption? What has been done to redeem you and buy you back? It is the buying back that could only be done through the blood and by the blood of a perfect sacrifice. Now when we look at the triangle, if you will remember, love is in the middle. The blood is the foundation. Grace is on the left and faith is on the right. The blood... Of the sacrifice is the element that brought forward the plan of redemption. As the relationship between God and man unfolded, God chose a people to whom he would be their God and they would be his people. From the very beginning, Leviticus would tell us that life is in the blood. God bringing Israel into the picture designed a means of worship. That was leading up to Jesus Christ. In that means of worship. He would design a means where the blood sacrifice would be included. That sacrifice of course would only serve to be a covering for sin. And then he designed a tabernacle in the wilderness for them to sacrifice. And for him to dwell in. All the while knowing that there was one coming who would destroy the house of the wicked from the foundation to the neck. And then Jesus is brought into our consciousness in the early Gospels by the birth uh, of, uh, to Mary. Matthew 1, as I mentioned, he was Emmanuel in Luke 2. He was the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he is born, the determination of God is spoken concerning who Jesus was and what he would accomplish. He was sent by God and he would accomplish the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What a great thing, my friend. We would be bought back by the sacrifice of Jesus. We would be brought under his Lordship by the blood. He would go back to be the man in the Godhead bodily who would raise his feet and there he would sit forever until every enemy of the work that the blood has accomplished would be brought into subjection.
to his great and wonderful actions. What a God we serve. And God fulfilled the work of the grand design of the Godhead with perfection. And that perfection was a perfection of obedience. And returned the Holy Spirit from the Godhead to operate our church. The foundation being his work in the blood. Grace coming off of the foundation of blood. And then faith connecting grace and the blood until they form in you. And Paul said they form Christ in you. As Jesus Christ, he would provide the perfect and sinless life to be used as a sacrifice and to have his flesh covered with the sin of the world and to be buried and there overcome the fleshly element, bury every sin, then go into hell and firmly defeat the strong man and plunder every bit of his goods. He would be delivered from the region of the damned where he would be clothed in righteousness. And as Lord, he would become the ruler over all three worlds. God left nothing out of this great plan of redemption. Redemption through his blood. That's so critical, my friend, because we have gotten the process out of kelter. And we took the process and placed it in grace. When it is in fact the blood that is the baseline, the foundation of the love of God. It is from the blood that we will come. Notice what the word said. Redemption through his blood. Which the blood caused the forgiveness of sin. How did it do it? By the riches of grace. The foundation of redemption is found in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now next Sunday I'm going to go into this in depth. What the power of the blood has accomplished. But Jesus was whipped and cut. He was beaten from praetorium all the way to the cross. This blood traveled in the sight of men from Praetorium where they first crowned him and beat him. And as he carried that cross up the Via Della Rosa all the way to Calvary, blood was on the trail and shed into the world. Remember whenever God said that uh, Abel's blood cries out to the ground from the ground and, and it will never stop crying. Jesus' blood did the same thing. Up the Via Della Rosa he went, carrying the cross and the blood dripping along the ground. Now we don't see the utter impact and power of that blood for a few hours yet. But my friend, there's going to come a moment in time when the power of that blood is going to so strike in the earth that there are going to be six dynamic changes that are about to happen from the cross. The foundation of the blood. You know the song, Love Grew Where the Blood Fell. What a beautiful song it is. Love grew, love grew everywhere the blood fell. And where love is growing, my friend, that love from the blood will cause grace to spring up and become alive. It will cause faith 
in the measure of man to become alive and man will be changed and then transformed because of the triangle of love. When he died, the blood fell upon the earth and my friend, there was a force to it that on Sunday I will describe to you in such a beautiful way. These miracles happened when Jesus said that it was finished. At the finish of his life, there was a perfect sacrifice. That perfect sacrifice was completed. He was brought in to the place where every sin was covered. And the blood had been shed for that, from that sacrifice. Left upon the earth to cry out from heaven. To cry out from the earth to heaven. That blood now reappears. It reappears in the tabernacle made in heaven. Where Jesus is said to have sprinkled blood. Where you and I became sanctified brethren. That blood appears in the throne room of God. Where they see Him as the Lamb of God. Slain from the foundation of the world. That blood is real, my friend. The blood of that sacrifice is left upon the earth and it continues to cry out. How do we know it? How do we know the blood's working? Well, whenever you come to a moment in your life when you are feeling the sense of conviction, when you are feeling the sense of the Holy Spirit telling you, this isn't right, what you're about to do, what you have done isn't right. And you need to make it right with God. When you're feeling that conviction, that's the point when you know that the blood sacrifice was absolutely effective. Now there are those of you who have gone away and sinned. The Bible talks about a day when you would sin away your day of grace. But there comes a time, possibly in your life, when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit isn't felt very sensitive to you. And you do what you do over the top of that conviction. And you have convinced yourself that because that conviction is no longer functioning in you to the extent that it used to, that God has accepted you. And you have received this ministry of grace and said, Aha, that is what grace is then. God, because of grace, looks over my sin. Well, my friend, unfortunately, that is not the case. God is not looking over your sin. What is happening is you have pushed away the Holy Spirit. And you have pushed away the Holy Spirit. And you have pushed Him away. And you have said, I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own God. I want to go my own way. I want to think like I want to think. I want to have the sin in my life I want. I want to do what it is I want to do. And grace has been the me mechanism that the world has told you is going to overcome it. Well, my friend, unfortunately... That's not true. We're going to go into that in great depth coming this, this coming Sunday. But my time is up for tonight. I want to tell you, this blood thing, this blood thing is the foundation of the plan of God. And when you see it, you're going to understand how the blood 
being the foundation, is the kickoff to grace. Blood is the kickoff to grace. If you do not come through the blood, you will not come through grace. God, I pray that you will minister to your people now as we prepare for this coming Sunday to understand the foundation of the triangle of love and how it operates and the utter importance of understanding how this plan of redemption is totally shrouded in the blood. For we are redeemed by the blood. Father, I pray that you'll bless your people this week. I pray that you'll open our eyes that we can see. And I pray that as we see, we will mature in you. I bless you now in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Now we see Satan for what he is. Now we're going to go into this plan of redemption through the triangle of love. And we're going to begin to unpack how God has determined through his word for us to come into grace. And how faith, the gifts, all of these gifts of God are going to bring the blood into grace until we can know that we know that we know who Jesus Christ is, what He has done for us, and live a life that blesses Him. Well, to my Facebook friends, may God bless you until Wednesday night at 6.45. We're looking into 1 Peter again. You don't want to miss it. And then next... Well, I hope you enjoyed that teaching and look forward to the triangle of love that will begin this week. May God richly bless you as my my prayer. Find Him as Lord. And there he will operate every bit of the covenant, the great and new covenant on your behalf. Find him as the man in the Godhead. And from there, he will operate through you, through using the Holy Spirit and show you great and mighty things to come. May God bless you until we speak again.